Rest Stop. I'm your host, Anna Holmquist. We're revisiting Muffler Men in today's episode to talk more about my favorite giant guys. As a reminder, Muffler Men are large, molded fiberglass sculptures that are placed as advertising icons, roadside attractions, or for decoration, mostly in the United States. See episode 5 for more background on Muffler Men. Today, me and my special guest will talk about a few more specific Muffler Men, a bit about Muffler Men restoration, and why these guys are so special. I recently took a road trip from Chicago, where I live, to Colorado Springs to visit my parents. Naturally, I dragged them around to various giant roadside attractions so I could take photos and marvel at their stature. In Colorado Springs, you can find a shiny 21st century muffler man. He's known as the Saloon Cowboy and stands outside the Copperhead Road Bar. He has a guitar slung around his body and holds a large mug of beer and a cigar. Quite a lot to hold for probably eternity. Here I'll read from a 2013 Roadside America article. We sell the same Bud Light as all 400 other bars in this county, said Justin Carter, general manager of the Copperhead Road Honky Tonk Saloon in Colorado Springs, Colorado. We were looking for something outdoors to set us apart. The problem, said Justin, was that Colorado Springs has a very restrictive ordinance on signs. So he built Colorado Redneck Stonehenge, three rusty old cars arranged in a gateway arch at the edge of the parking lot. Justin told the city that it wasn't a sign, it was art. Colorado Springs replied that it wasn't a sign and it wasn't art either. It was junk, and since the saloon didn't have a junkyard permit, it had to be torn down. Justin moved to Plan B. Statues, he realized, were recognized as statues by everyone and didn't fall under the sign ordinance and the biggest statue he could imagine was a muffler man. A note from your host here, this has the same energy as the muffler man Paul Bunyan that got turned into a flagpole in Cheshire, Connecticut, because the town of Cheshire enforced a law that no sign could be more than seven feet high. We'd seen a bunch of them on Roadside America, he said, particularly one that was customized to hold a cigar and a foamy mug of beer in Sturgis, South Dakota. Justin decided that he wanted one just like that. Rather than modify an existing muffler man, Justin turned to FAST in Sparta, Wisconsin, specialists in giant fiberglass sculptures and one of the few companies capable of creating a muffler man from scratch. Its mold yard is a priceless resource. He showed FAST a photo of the Sturgis muffler man and in 2012, Fast delivered the Copperhead Road Cowboy to Justin's saloon. The cowboy is accessorized with an electric guitar as well as the mug and stogie. His arms are not as muscular as a classic muffler man, his shoulders not as broad. His compact, square head has less pronounced brow ridges with a more pointed nose, thinner lips, and a wider mouth. His jaw is not as prominent. For better or worse, he looks more human than an old-style muffler man, but the geneticists at FAST have placed him squarely among the species. 
Aside from creating the Saloon Cowboy, FAST, which stands for Fiberglass Animals, Shapes, and Trademarks Corporation, also has its impressive fiberglass statue mold yard in Sparta. In the open field behind the factory, you can see over 600 molds from previous jobs. Molds for giant statues are tough to make, of course, so the company holds on to all of them to help save money if a project comes up where they can reuse something. Visitors are welcome to explore the yard, but warned not to climb on the molds and also to look out for wasp nests. In Ocean City, New Jersey, you can find a swashbuckling pirate muffler man who's part of a pirate-themed mini-golf course. He's customized to have a peg leg, hook hands, and eye patch, and he holds a cutlass. He even has some very fashionable gold hoop earrings and a nifty long red jacket. Here I'll read from a Roadside America story about him. The piratization of a muffler man was an original international fiberglass factory option, with accessories such as an eye patch, earring, and sword available in the mid-1960s. We don't see the hand hook or peg leg listed as available options that early, so those might have been later accessories or local modifications to make this murderous mini-golf brigand truly unique. The current owner recalls that the pirate was acquired in the late 1960s at an auction in Pennsylvania after Playtown Park shut down. Next, we'll hear from Joel Baker, founder of American Giants, a website, YouTube series, and Muffler Man restoration shop. Uh, this is Joel Baker, American Giants, uh, doing a podcast recording for Anna. I think I've always had a fascination with uh, something different, you know, the strange, the peculiar roadside attraction, you know, something out of the ordinary. Um, I didn't uh, grow up seeing muffler men. Uh, I wish I had. I wish I, I had a picture of me as an eight-year-old standing next to one. Uh, unfortunately, that's not my history. Uh, but I do remember always liking, you know, big stuff. And, and I think what started this whole thing with the muffler men was a, a giant dinosaur sculpture that was uh, on a rural road uh, in Florida near the town of Brooksville. I spent some time in my late teens in that area, and I remember driving by this thing, and I'd see it every so often, and it, it was headless, uh, great big like brontosaurus, and, um, you know, had the tail coming out, and then where the neck and head should be, it was just a big gaping hole. That definitely drew my curiosity, you know, this big dinosaur out in somebody's field uh, by the side of a, a road behind a fence, you know, how strange was that? There had to be a story, right, behind this and uh, so I got online, I googled it, and that led me to Roadside America. Uh, and Roadside America is phenomenal. You know, this is the website that uh, catalogs every odd roadside attraction uh, in all the states. And um, what an incredible resource. And I was just discovering it. And, uh, you know, after I was done, I was browsing around the, the website. And I see this little banner, and it has a picture of a muffler man head on it. And it says, you know, the story of the muffler men. And uh, I thought, oh, well, that, that looks interesting. You know, a peculiar face. Uh, muffler men have, have a, you know, this big lantern jaw and kind of these 
just very distinct features, um, and I think that caught my attention. And I started, you know, reading about them, and uh, you know, the origins uh, of the species, as they called it. I think they had an article titled that. And uh, lo and behold, there's a map, and there's lots of them, and there's you know these different varieties uh, that were made, and you know they're ancient. By the time I found out about them, you know they were probably pushing 50 years old. Yeah, it just captivated me. And uh, I was on a work trip. Uh, I traveled all the time back then. Uh, I drove a satellite truck for a television company. I was on the road uh, most of the year, uh, which was great for roadside attractions. We happened to be in Florida, in Dade City. And uh, the, the very next day, the first chance I got, you know, I went down the road and saw my very first muffler man. And uh, this was a Paul Bunyan that had been converted into a uh, kind of a, a serviceman for an auto parts store uh, with an aftermarket. Uh, they turned his knit cap into a ball cap. You know, that just fascinated me. And I did some digging and found out that he originally had stood in Lake of the Ozarks, uh, Missouri, along with two others. And man, there was just all these stories and connections and, you know, so much history. Uh, these giants had been around back in the 60s when they were made. Uh, entirely different um, age for advertising. Uh, and they were survivors, you know, not all of them had survived, but some of them had survived. You know, they had all kinds of stories. Each one was, each one was different, right? Uh, every, everyone came with a background story and oftentimes old black and white pictures that helped tell their story. And I just dove into the history part of it. And, you know, I loved seeing them. I loved figuring out uh, the different nuances be between each version and, and so on and so forth. But I loved the history, the backstory, talking to original owners, uh, and especially finding and hunting for the ones that had been, you know, sighted in the 90s or the early 2000s, but now no one knew what happened to them. And since I traveled, it was a great opportunity for me uh, to go all over the United States uh, and hunting these down. Obviously, the ones that were easy to find and that were clearly mapped, uh, but uh, I really enjoyed looking, uh, knocking on doors, businesses, uh, local newspapers and trying to track down the ones that hadn't been photographed in 20 years and no one seemed to know what happened to them. As my journey continued, you know, I realized that there was uh, yeah, multiple multiple versions of the giant. They started out with the Paul Bunyan. That was the first one that was ever made around 1963, I believe. Once that kind of took off, they thought, well, there's definitely a market here. You know, people are pulling the family car off the road to whatever business has this. So they wanted to give the businesses more variety. They wanted to give the, the businesses an option, basically. And so they came up with this catalog and they start, they start modifying the bunion and changing a few things to make it a different character. You know, you could, you could get rid of the beard, you could add a cowboy hat, and now it's a cowboy. Uh, you could take away uh, the boots, the, the logger um, lumberjack boots and have the pant legs extend all the way down to the feet. And, uh, you know, now you have uh, a serviceman, whatever you wanted. Um, they made a character that looked like Alfred Newman. Uh, they made uh, an American Indian uh, brave. They made an American Indian chief. Of course, keep in mind, this is back in the 60s. So advertising was much different back then. And uh, they, they made a, a Viking uh, character for a carpet company. So it could advertise, of all things, kitchen carpets, right? That must have been a thing back then. And uh, so they had all these, these different characters. They made, they made a pirate version, a guy that wore a suit that looked much more professional. 
and um, they even made a female version uh, for the Uniroyal Tire Company. So all these different versions were rolling out. Uh, by the mid-60s, the company that made these giants, International Fiberglass, it was, it was in mass production. They were getting orders all over the place, and these giants were shipping out weekly. Uh, big oil companies like, like Texaco and Phillips 66 um, and of course the, the Uniroyal Tire Company, they were seeing international fiberglass and the potential it had to, to catch people's eye. Yeah, everybody had a billboard and a sign, but these guys were making giant people, you know, that was different. And, uh, and it worked. Uh, they started mass producing these guys. Phillips 66 ordered cowboys that stood at all the gas stations, or many of them. They were made so they could travel. They'd spend a week here, and then they'd move down the road uh, to the next town and spend a week at that service station. Texaco did the same thing. Uh, Uniroyal, the same thing. And uh, all these programs lasted. Um, Texaco was very short-lived, but the others uh, lasted a few years. Uh, by 1970, things were changing, you know, always changing in the advertising world, and, and people were moving on uh, to other things other than big fiberglass giants. Often people will ask me, well, what, what's your favorite? You know, what, what giant out of all of these do you like the best? And I would have to say that it's the Texaco Big Friend. Uh, it, was, it was right in 1966 when all these oil companies were seeing international fiberglass. Texaco was one of them, and they didn't just want a standard, you know, cowboy or bunion or whatever. They wanted a, they wanted a, a custom giant that looked like their serviceman uh, that they had at all their service stations. Uh, there was the guy that, I mean, gas stations were so different back in the day. Uh, you know, today you basically uh, drive up and you don't even have to, you know, leave your car if you don't want to. Um, and, and the gas station is basically a convenience store. Uh, back then, you know, going to a Texaco station was like going to the doctor for your car. I mean, they, they had everything you needed. They'd come out and inspect your car. You'd discuss the health of your car with the serviceman, uh, schedule an appointment. Uh, they had, <laughs> it was just a very, very different world. And so this, uh, this giant that Texaco ordered really was a, a giant serviceman. And, and, you know, there was a motto that, uh, you know, you can trust your car to the man who wears the star. Uh, it was all about building relationships with the customer and trusting your local gas station, uh, Texaco gas station. And so these guys were deployed. Uh, they made 300 of them. They were deployed all over the states. It was short-lived, you know, there was, it was a liability, basically. Uh, wind gusts would come along and topple the giant and, uh, you know, it would land on somebody's car and, and Texaco, you know, quickly realized, well, this was a horrible idea. And uh, so they ditched the program. They, they wrote a letter to all the stations that had them and uh, they said, you know, destroy them. You know, don't stick them in the back lot, destroy them. We want these out of the market, out of the public eye. Uh, we don't want them, you know, repurposed and showing up at the local grocery store. Uh, and so that, that, that was largely successful for the most part. Um, they were all destroyed, but of course, a few survived. Uh, we know of, I think, six uh, com complete giants, and then there's a handful of, you know, body parts in addition to that that have survived. That's my favorite, and I think it's because the story behind it and how rare they are, you know? We all, we, what, are the, what are the best baseball cards? It's always the, the rarest ones, the, the ones that there's only a few that have survived, right? So it's the same thing with, with these Texaco Big Friend Giants. Uh, that's why they're my favorite. They're so rare. 
uh, we're, I'm fortunate enough to actually own two of them, uh, both in restoration right now. There are no Texaco Big Friends that are fully restored back to Texaco with the stickers and everything. There's one that's pretty close. But uh, that's our goal, to provide these uh, fully restored stickers and all, um, and get them back where the public can enjoy them, kind of like a museum piece. In 2015, after a few years of uh, just uh, doing his historic research uh, and a lot of travel and visits on these guys, uh, we found one in, in Kentucky that was in really rough shape. Um, and we knew nothing about restoration, but, um, you know, it was owned by an older couple. And, uh, you know, I asked them, you know, what if, if we take this down out of your field here? They had a donkey pasture alongside an interstate. And I said, you know, if you, if you let us... Uh, if you loan this thing to us and we raise some money, you know, would you let us repaint it and kind of restore it and maybe find a head for it? it didn't have head or arms. And they, they trusted enough to let us come and take it. And uh, we did a Kickstarter and uh, kind of taught ourselves how to, you know, fiberglass and restoration. And, uh, you know, we couldn't see the future, but what resulted out of that, and of course all the videos we always do on these, uh, it really excited people. And, and they loved it, you know, bringing something a roadside attraction back from from the 60s and fully restoring it when it's in such awful condition and uh so it kind of caught on and after we got done with that one then we got a job for another one and another and another and another and we started specializing in restoration we we specialized in setup and takedown uh and, and transport we kind of uh, became the company that delivers the whole package you know whatever you need for your for your giant uh, we can do it. We can haul it for you. We can take it down. You know, we work uh, yeah, all the details um, and make sure it's done right. Yeah, that kind of became our, our second passion, you know, historic research and restoration uh, and hauling these guys. So it's been very rewarding. You know, there's nothing greater than, you know, taking a, a giant in horrible condition that's been the icon of a town all these years and uh, taking it down and, uh, you know, restoring it for a few months and then taking it back to that town and setting it up where everyone can enjoy it again. You know, fresh paint uh, with as many of the original details restored. Uh, we just love it. It's, it's super rewarding. It's been a fun road. I never thought these giants would take me where they have. They'll take you to places you never thought you'd go. Uh, but it's uh, just a really cool, you know, niche thing in, in American history. It's been a lot of fun. Thanks so much, Joel. Your friendly host is tired this week, so that's all for now. If you have more to add about muffler men, please email me at reststoppod at gmail.com. That's R-E-S-T-S-T-O-P-P-O-D at gmail.com. And I might read your email on the show. If you're enjoying the podcast, I'd love it if you could write a review. Those are super helpful to independently produced podcasts like mine. You can follow us on Instagram, Twitter, and TikTok at reststoppod. That's R-E-S-T-S-T-O-P-P-O-D. Thanks for listening, and I'll catch you in two weeks. Bye.